As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show's Weekend Review. Bayern are flying and left Dortmund fans crying as Kane scored three, continued his spree and has made his decree. Achtung, baby. And if you want drama and passionate scorers, look no further than the Copa Libertadores. Fluminense won it for the first time ever and I learned Marcelo plays there now. Aren't I clever? Elsewhere, Luton almost got a famous win. Arsenal lamented VAR sins. Man United got away with it once more and Jeremy Doku helped four of his teammates score. Romelu Lukaku scored late to avoid Roma fans' pain and Girona atop of the table in Spain. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, your friend of mine, it's your shiny, happy person, Taylor Rockwell. Hello, Taylor. Hello, my friend. I am indeed uh, shiny and happy and excited for all four of us to be here. Uh, As am I. R.E.M. don't like that song, Taylor. Isn't that a shame? It's a crime, isn't it? It's a great tune. Is it one of the things where like they've sung it so much that now they they refuse to play it? I feel like bands, certain bands get to that point with certain songs. Wasn't even on their greatest hits. Is Oasis like that with Wonderwall? Do they no longer play that one when, if and when they ever get along and play together? Haven't played since 2009, so a difficult question. But yes, uh, uh, at least they still play it, Taylor, I would say that much. Uh, Joining us, returning from uh, his injury spate on the physio table with yet another Scottish illness, Graham Rutherford. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yeah, what happened was I uh, I watched the Sean Dyche team play football last week uh-huh. and then fell ill during the match. Now, I don't know for certain that those two things are linked, but it they seems that, that they might be. Yeah, that, that might be the reason why I was ill. Lovely trip to Merseyside though, Graham. Yes, it was. I'm a big fan of, of Goodison Park. Uh, me and my, my friend, my buddy, he's an Everton fan. We were going down for one last time before they bulldozed the place. They are building a spaceship of a stadium out by the River Mersey. That looks amazing. Very, very different from Goodison Park, where mm. you're crammed in like sardines. I put it in the Patreon video that I stuck on the TSS Plus. You're crammed in like sardines when you're queuing for your pie. So I very nearly didn't get a pie. They'd run out of the one that I wanted. I had to settle for uh, meat and potato pie. They didn't specify what the meat was, just meat and potato. That was it. 
Oh dear, that sounds exotic. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you want to check that out, by the way. All our bonus content is there. Bonus videos that Graham loves to produce, our bonus episodes, and access to our Discord. But not least, uh, we, we need to get to introducing our final uh, TSS co-host, Joey Scoops. Joe Lowry, how are you, Joe? <laughs> I'm doing great, guys. I'm still not over you calling a meat and potato pie exotic. I'm assuming that was in jest. <laughs> There's no other way that I can internalize that comment. Yeah. It sounds like the blandest thing in the world is what I was getting at, Joe. Well, it, it, was, it, was, right. it, was, it was certainly uh, more tasteful than the other option, which was, or flavorful, which was potato, potato, and, potato? and butter. Potato and that butter is. pie. <laughs> That's what I wanted. Mm. But they didn't, they'd run out. How is America the one dying of heart disease? That's my question. Very unclear, Taylor. Very <laughs> unclear. Joe, I will say, I, we're gonna, I'm going to jump us ahead here for a moment to the Joey Scoops thing. Yeah. I, I listened to two different podcasts <sighs> talk about Emma Hayes leaving Chelsea, and I kept waiting for As Reported by Joe Lowry. I didn't get any As Reported by Joe Lowry, so I want you to get credit front and center up top and then many other times throughout this episode. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I did report that news Saturday morning. I was... Furiously typing on my phone while out and about as as these things go. I got to pretend to be Tom Bogart for a day, which is sort of the reference that Ryan is making there. Did you this do the mustache? Is, Please uh, tell me that you wore a fake mustache. I, I, I'm working on it, Graham. I'm developing it slowly. <laughs> it's going to take time to cultivate. Um, I, I, uh, I was one of a few people that sort of got this news out. But yeah, was was the first to put this out there. And we had the story up for Backyield. And it's a really exciting moment for the United States women's national team who have been looking for a coach ever since the World Cup ended, and I, I've been on this horse for a while, that was about two years too late for the United States women's national team, but Blacko and Donofsky is going back to the NWSL. They had an opening there, and they went outside the bubble. Matt Crocker went outside the NWSL and American coach bubble, so didn't go for, for any of the domestic coaches, instead went to Emma Hayes, who is very highly regarded. We've talked about her multiple times on this show, and will do more, I'm guessing, later this week in a big way. She's a, a statement higher, and there's reports about how they're going to pay her as much as they're paying Greg Berhalter on that side. And they're, they're going to be coaching for the same amount of money. And Emma Hayes is going to have a very, very big job on her hands to take this team forward. She will indeed. More on that on the feed later, as you say, Joseph Lauer. Very exciting stuff. I'm not going to reveal your sources, but I will reveal your methods. Uh, Joe let us know that he actually got in the back of Emma Hayes' convertible car, put a sheet over himself as she drove around. He got the idea from Back to the Future and um, trailing Biff, basically. <laughs> that was how you got the, uh, the the information, right, Joe? Well, I asked Graham what I should do, and that's what he said, because uh, he's a big Back yeah, to the Future yeah. fan. And, and honestly, it worked out well, Graham, so credit to you. Yeah, he, he didn't do the bit where he trailed behind the car on the hoverboards, though, mm. which was disappointing, quite frankly. Frankly. Yeah, it's a little he did discover obvious. that uh, Emma Hayes hates manure, though. He found that out later that day. Yeah. <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah, we do indeed. Uh, let's get to the soccer action. Plenty to cover this weekend. We're going to start in the bully this weekend. Review the Bundesliga where Der Klassiker took place. Borussia Dortmund nil by Munich. Oh, Open Meccano with the opening goal after three minutes and then another Harry Kane hat-trick in this <laughs> oh one. Harry my. Kane now with 15 goals in 10 buying games. No other player in world soccer has scored more goals than Kane this season. Now, Graham, in our, in our show notes, you put in that uh, this was very predictable. Is it predictable because it shouldn't have been predictable with Bayern having, you know, no Joshua Kimmich, no, uh, who else? Delict, I suppose, was out for this one. It felt like... Dortmund could have maybe taken a classic here and something they don't often do uh but was it predictable because but because they had the chance and didn't take it is that what you meant 
well, it was predictable because of the thing you just said. They don't often win these games. It doesn't matter what form these two teams are in. You always know that Bayern Munich are going to rock up and embarrass Borussia Dortmund. That's become this defining thing for both clubs. Borussia Dortmund lost to third division Sauerbrücken. I hope I pronounced that correctly because I'd never heard of them before. They lost to a third division team in the Pokal just three days before this match. Bayern, it didn't right? matter. Nothing ever yep. matters. Yep. <laughs> this, this is what Bayern Munich do to Dortmund every single time. And yeah, I am... I, I, um, I had it in my my tips, my my weekend tips. I got all four tips correct because, as I say, it was just incredibly pre- predictable that Bayern Munich were going to do this to Dortmund. So, first of all, this is Eric Winaldo erasure because I believe he has over sixty appearances for Saarbrücken. How dare you, Graham Ruffin? Um, and yeah, Joe, I think that correction was good. Uh, I think it was Bayern who lost, which would have set the stage for Bayern to then lose this game. And are they in trouble? Is Thomas Tuchel the right guy? And instead, they crush a Dortmund team. That has been okay this season, but but talking to Manuel Veith uh, last week, he was talking about how they don't really play the expansive football that they used to, and they're a little bit more okay with being a pragmatic team, and that's maybe sort of what they're trying to build towards this season. So I then would have expected a more stable platform for this game for Dortmund to operate, and instead they were torn open pretty much regularly. It started to feel in those first 20 minutes, like every time Bayern attacked, they could score uh, just because they were so efficient and so effective uh, when in possession, but then also playing on the counter. Joe, Harry Kane, let's have that conversation, shall we? Let's do. Um, Jude Bellingham obviously stealing the spotlight as the best player in the world, but England's got a few of those candidates perhaps at the moment uh, with Mr. Kane involved. Is is Harry Kane going to be kicking himself with all due respect to Tottenham that he didn't make this kind of move a season or two ago? Is this scenario perfect for Harry Kane in that he can go into a team like Bayern and very easily get goals in this kind of league with that setup? I think yes to both of those questions if I caught all of them. I think in some ways Harry Kane will be kicking himself that he, he didn't make this move sooner. That being said, it's not like the door was open at Bayern Munich for a striker to come in and get minutes until last season, right? Mm-hmm. Robert Lewandowski leaves to Barcelona. They try to sort of do a you know striker by committee thing. They bring in Sadio Mane, and, and none of those really truly worked out. There were also other problems at Bayern Munich, and they still won the title. So ultimately, it was fine last year. But Harry Kane is such a clear and obvious upgrade. I talked about this from the moment this transfer was official. Like, Harry Kane is a perfect fit for any team in the world because he is a complete number nine. He does all of the goal-scoring things that you want him to do. In this game, he's getting into the box. He's finding space. He's an asset running off the ball in the final third on the counter. He checks all of those boxes. And then he also does a whole bunch of other stuff too. He does the non-goal-scoring stuff that if you can get out of a number nine, you're in a really, really good spot. And it was so predictable to bring that back around as, as a buzzword for the show. It was so predictable that he was going to thrive at Bayern Munich because... He is one of the best number nines in the world. And the fact that he put up good to great numbers for a good but never great Tottenham Hotspur team and then comes into Bayern Munich, a team that is great, a team that has so much attacking talent, a team that played Borussia Dortmund off the field in this game, and that was no surprise. The fact that he comes in and has scored as many goals as he has is is not a surprise at all. I think, Ryan, what you said there is absolutely right about Jude Bellingham stealing some of the spotlight. If Jude Bellingham's not doing what Jude Bellingham has been doing, also Jude, we do a big thing episode about you, and then you don't score on the weekend. I mean, uh, the curse God, is real. Come on. What are we doing here? The, the curse is real. But the fact that Jude Bellingham has been this good and is sort of stealing a lot of the, let's be honest, non-Premier League spotlights in, in the discourse right now, Harry Kane deserves a much larger chunk of that because yeah. he has been absolutely incredible. 
He he's on course for fifty-one league goals this season, which uh, that would be a pretty that would be a pretty decent haul for his first season in in, in German football. For context, uh, Lewandowski's Bundesliga record is 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 forty-three goals in thirty-four games. So he's he's on course to absolutely smash that. And you're right, Joe. That, that he was a, a plug-and-play option for Bayern. Yeah. Um, I don't want to kind of uh, play up my own predictions too much but I, I am also not surprised that he's been this successful for a Bayern team that was just lacking this sort of player last season and I I, I understand the comparisons to Lewandowski and, 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 and Kane I would go one step further and say I think and obviously he's only played 10 league games right so I'm having to project a little bit here how it's going to pan out beyond this point I think he's going to be or has been better for Bayern than Lewandowski was I think he opens up the full threat of that Bayern attack in a way that yes. Lewandowski didn't always do at times I don't think it's a coincidence that all of a sudden Leroy Sané is having the yeah. best season of his career Jamal Musiala seems to have taken a, a, a step forward as well and having someone like Kane who is not just going to score you 15 goals in 10 games but he drops in he creates space in behind not only does he create that space he then has the passing range to play into that space so yeah, he's he's just the best all-round centre forward at this moment in time, and he, as I say, it's just so predictable that that he was going to be this good for for Bayern Munich. Taylor, a note on Dortmund: mm-hmm. uh, Are they in the title contention race at this point? Do we think? I mean, it looked like there were moments in this game where they just didn't look up for it. It looked yeah. a bit like they were just not at the races, so to speak. Like that Schlotterbeck just completely letting Ubermakana go for the first goal, yeah. for example. Like that's not what you do in a classica, surely. No, I mean, there was uh, like naivete about their approach to this game, both as a team and as individuals. That goal, that opener for Opamecano, it, it is just a textbook. Uh, as the corner is about to be taken, he makes like an aggressive couple steps towards the corner, so like towards the penalty spot. Slaughterbeck bites on that. He then goes to pursue, and then Opamecano changes direction, and as he changes direction, he very cleverly uses Schlotterbeck to gain even more momentum, basically. So he pushes him away as he then changes his run. And so that's why there's that huge separation. But Schlotterbeck biting on that one and losing the kind of tight control he had of that moment is, I think, representative of this whole game for Dortmund, where they really struggled to get into the game at all. They had maybe a 15-minute period, I think, about five minutes into the second half, where they had some level of control and looked a little bit better. Uh, And then... Byron scored more goals, and that was that. Uh, I, I feel like Joe mentioned how Bellingham has been maybe the headline of, of the season, and I think his absence from Dortmund is a pretty big headline. Uh, he seemed like a player that they were really missing in this game. That There were just so many times that I saw Marco Royce and Julian Brandt especially making runs, trying to make runs in behind, trying to make runs into space when Dortmund had the ball, when they had a, an opportunity to counter. And it just slowed down, and they ended up playing lateral passes, or they ended up recycling possession to the center backs, and then everything slowed down, and Byron got into their shape. And you could see Royce and Brent like throwing their hands up all the time, and that just felt like a moment to me where if you go back to Bellingham at Dortmund, he is the one who's carrying that ball forward. He is carrying it under pressure. He's passing forward. He's trying to make some of those, I think, more high-risk passes, those more high-risk runs, but they then have even greater reward. And it just felt like nobody at Dortmund was able to sort of play out of that pressure or find a new gear that was needed, whereas Bayern, pretty much every player looked pretty sharp to me. Yeah, and even out of possession as well, I think Dortmund were missing someone like like Bellingham. So so much of Bayern's play 
was coming through the middle. 70% yes. of their attacks yeah. in the first half came through the middle, which isn't an ideal situation if you're Dortmund. Obviously, I'm being slightly reductive and simplistic here, but generally a core factor in tactical setup is you don't really want a team just steamrolling steam through you right in the middle of the pitch. And that is true. what Bayern continually did. And their midfield pairing, uh, Dortmund's midfield pairing of Sabitzer and Ozkan, they, they just couldn't get a grip of things in and out of possession. And we've heard a lot about the Dortmund press. We heard it before this match. Thomas Tuchel had some interesting post-match comments where he bit back at, at that analysis of things. Uh, Dortmund's recovery time was was double their average so far this season. And that is obviously a combination of Bayern being press resistant, but also a lack of cohesion to Dortmund's defensive approach, which I saw throughout this match. And Bayern, they were just finding all sorts of space. Sané was getting in behind like he did for the second goal. Coleman was stretching on the, on, on the right side as well. And if you look at the position map, there was a real balance to, to Bayern. There was space between their players across the pitch, whereas Dortmund were all bunched up in the middle, which is really damning given what I just said, that Bayern Munich were, were kind of plowing through them in the centre of the pitch. Grim, what were the comments about Dortmund's press? Because that was one of the things that stood out to me most in this game, and I've got some something to dig into on that, but I didn't see any of those comments. What, what happened there? So the incident was that Thomas Tuchel was waiting to speak to the... I'm not, I'm not familiar with who the German pundits were, but they were in the studio and Thomas Tuchel was clearly listening into an analysis, mm. pre-match analysis of the game. And um, they were talking about how good Dortmund were in, in, in pressing and that they could really expo exploit Bayern Munich and Bayern Munich had struggled against teams that would press high against them this season. And then Thomas Tuchel, he didn't like that before the match. And then he right. came back on after the match and was like, so how about that Borussia, that famous Borussia Dortmund press? He, <laughs> he had a good time in this game. Well, and that, that backstory makes, I love that, Graham, that backstory makes sort of what unfolded in the game and, and Tuchel's right to go out and gloat a little bit after the match. All the, all the more sweet from a Bayern Munich perspective, they really did carve through a lot of Dortmund's press. Now, the, the other side of this is Bayern score a couple of early goals. They're up 2-0 within 10 minutes. All of a sudden, the pressure is no longer on them. The pressure is on Borussia Dortmund to go and break through Bayern Munich and to get something back. And so a big reason why Bayern had so much success attacking through central areas is because Dortmund would commit numbers forward with the ball. Bayern Munich could defend, and then all of a sudden, they're you know down the field in three seconds and have the ball in the back of the net because how dangerous they are on the break. But... When Borussia Dortmund did press, and they pressed way more than I thought they would have or should have in this game, they were in more of like a 4-4-2 diamond shape. And so they had the front two, when Bayern were building out of the back, they had their front two dealing with the center back on the ball, and then Conrad Leimer as sort of the deeper midfielder for Bayern Munich. And then they would go and push Sabitzer up onto Leon Goretzka, and they push Ozkan onto Musiala. And so they went sort of man for man, they had a little bit of a hybrid approach up front, and Bayern Munich were not phased by this. They had time and they were willing to circulate the ball from side to side. With that front two I mentioned, it's just one of the center backs that's really being marked. The other one and the goalkeeper most of the time were free. And so Bayern Munich could draw Borussia Dortmund to one side. This is classic, you know, building from the back stuff, possession stuff. Then they'd circle the ball around to the other side and progress forward. And when they had a hard time doing that, and when Borussia Dortmund would push numbers forward, they had a little bit of success in the press. But when Bayern needed a solution to bring us all the way back around to the first talking point on this game, there's a few moments where Harry Kane is the one providing it because he's so good on the ball, dropping into space. Bayern, it felt like, had almost all of the answers to play through Dortmund's press, and maybe at times Dortmund weren't aggressive enough, and maybe at times they were too aggressive. Either way, Bayern Munich, there's so much more than Harry Kane. They are made better by Harry Kane's presence. But one thing that's made very, very clear for me by this game and by this performance from Bayern Munich is that... They're maybe not a perfect team, but whatever it's going to be that limits them this year in the Champions League and the league, 
it's not going to be their attacking play. Maybe what limits them, Joe, is Bayer Leverkusen being two points ahead of them at this stage. Taylor Rockwell's Bayer Leverkusen, to give them their full name. Thank Apologies. Uh, a 3-2 win over Hoffenheim, Hoffenheim this weekend, Taylor. Gave up a two-goal lead, got it back, and a winner from Alex Grimaldo. Uh, they are the Bundesliga champions-elect at the moment. Yes, of course. And, I mean, you've got to keep it interesting. You know, you want to keep people tuning in, so you got to go behind and then come like come back and, mm-hmm. and fight to get that win. You've got to keep the narrative there. Xavi Alonso's a genius. He knows how this works. He does indeed. He does indeed. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, plenty more from this weekend, including but not limited to the Copa Libertadores final. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. We go now to the Maracanã and the Copa Libertadores final, which took place this weekend, which saw Fluminense in their home stadium get a 2-1 win over Argentina's Boca Juniors. Uh, Taylor, pretty pretty casual on this one. Just an extra time win with two red cards. Argentine, Argentinian side versus the Brazilian side. Nothing to really report here, was there? Oh my goodness. This game, for a game that I had absolutely nothing invested in and was mostly just casually watching because it's the Copa Lib final, I ended it fully, like, hair in both hands, like, like shirt just tore. Like, it was crazy, man. This game was all over the the place. A little bit, yes. I just ripped off the shirt at one point. And then I also got a red card for ripping off my shirt. It was, it was poetic. Now, I mean, this game, this game was. So intense. The atmosphere was amazing. I love that you could barely see the pitch for the first five minutes because all the all of the flares that had gone off and all the fireworks and pyrotechnics. And then when you could see the pitch, all you could see was violent collisions. Because in my mind, I'm curious if, if other people agree with this one. Because as I said, I watched this as a neutral. I found myself very quickly rooting for Fluminense because it felt to me like they were the team that were more capable of moving the ball quickly, of possessing, of trying interesting things. And it felt to me like Boca pretty quickly decided we're going to make this a physical affair. We're going to collide with people. And it felt, especially in the second half, like we are going to try to make them lose their cool. And there were just so many moments, Cavani stepping on somebody and then going over and screaming at them that they took a dive where he clearly stepped on them. And there were just a lot of moments like that, that to me, Boca were doing a lot of gamesmanship. And I thought Fluminense, to their credit, were not taking that bait and really focused on playing their game. Even with that red card, that red card comes from, John Kennedy, the incredibly named, sprinting 140 yards basically to jump into the uh, into the supporters after scoring the go ahead goal, uh, and then basically has to uh, be pulled out by stewards and then gets a card for going into the stands, and that was his second, so he sent off. But even there, I felt like that was an understandable moment of celebration. Uh, with everything that that game meant, meant for him and then meant for the team. But that one aside, it felt to me like they did a really good job of keeping their heads against very physical opponents. Yeah. 
Boca were definitely the prime poop houses in this game, and that's why I wanted them to win. Like, I was the other side of that, Taylor. Also, the reason I actually wanted them to win was uh, Brazilian teams have a real stranglehold on the Copa Libertadores Mm -hmm. at the moment. It's a real discussion point in South American club football, the widening gulf between Brazilian and even Argentinian um, club football. And so Boca, I think they, they haven't won this since 2007. I think Brazilian clubs have won this in each of the last four years. It's been all Brazilian finals. The fact that it, there was an Argent, there was a non-Brazilian team in this final was a bit of a, an upset in itself. So I kind of wanted Boca to, to to do it, but I can understand what you're what 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 you're saying because Boca. I mean, this was this was prime Libertadores. This is what you would expect of a Copa, Copa Libertadores final. Some fantastic moments. All three goals were excellent, particularly the John Kennedy winner, which mm-hmm. was an absolute lightning bolt. If you haven't seen that, uh, listener, I, w- I, w- I would check that out. Then what happened, Graham? But then what happened? He got sent <laughs> off, which just made the moment all the more better. Um, but so much of the match was kind of lacking any sort of rhythm, even though the referee was letting so much so go, much particularly go. in the first half. I I actually think by the second half, it was crazy, but by the second half, I could kind of see why he'd let things go because there would have been four or five red cards by the end of the match if he'd he'd started flashing uh, yellows pretty early. Um, There was a moment, one of my favourite moments in this game was when Andre, the the, the flu midfielder, he is a target for Liverpool. I think he's going to get a move to the Premier League or Europe pretty soon. There's this brilliant moment where he carries the ball from, from deep and he dribbles past a couple players and, and Fluminense go on this counter. And as the camera pans, out of nowhere and with no context, yep. there's two players just having a scrap on yep. the ground in the middle of the pitch and the referee doesn't even go back to it. It was just that <laughs> oh. sort of match. It was and incredible. Then, and then on top of that, because, yeah, I think it's the, the uh, I believe it was uh, uh, German Cano tried to make a run and was basically dragged down by the center back so that then they kind of continue to wrestle with each other and then yeah as you said uh, who was it who was on the andre has the ball he then goes on a run he plays a through ball and then he also just gets like basically (laughs) blocked out of oblivion he takes a hit i think they ended up with three players on the ground at the end of that sequence but even the way they played out of that i think that's the one gram that starts with them in their own corner with like a guy with two players on him and he somehow back heels it to his teammate and they do a very quick one and two touch pass sequence to get out of pressure. I thought that it was really fun to see that juxtaposition of styles. My wife came in and watched for about five minutes and her line that I wrote down was it's like rugby, but then they're all really fast. And so is the ball. Uh, And, and there were moments when I had to make sure that I wasn't watching at like advanced speed, which Joe taught me how to do credit to the youth once again, as always. Uh, But and I wasn't. It was just they played so fast. It was the type of game where almost every time Fluminense got the ball in the final 20 minutes of regulation, I assumed somebody was going to get a, bro- a leg broken, come away with a foul, come away bleeding. It was a very, very physically intense game from start to finish. And we did get another red card in there, too, for a slap in the face. A very, very dumb moment. Which was, yeah. That was so stupid, that yep. moment, because at that that point of the match, I actually think between the, yeah. the red card to Kennedy and then also some of the changes that F- Fernando Denise had made towards the end of the match, where it was almost like Fluminense went into protection mode. I kind of thought that Fluminense had backed themselves into a corner in that moment and Boca were creating more. I thought pushing Advincula higher up the pitch. So in the first half, he plays as a as a fullback slash wingback. He was a real defensive liability in that position. <laughs> 
But then, depending on uh, what you want out of your defenders, if you want them to <laughs> almost murder people, he was doing his job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. Maybe Boca were, were actually happy with what he was doing in, in the first half. But in the second half, he is more of a, an outlet. He scores the equalizer. He had a few moments li- similar to the equalizer where he he's getting a shot on frame, and so it felt like as the game was going on, it, the pendulum was swinging a little bit towards Boca. Certainly when Fluminense go down to to ten men. So for uh, for the Boca player, I forget who it is actually, the Boca player to slap the, the Fluminense Oh, it was uh, Fabra. Fabra, that's correct. Yeah, um, was just madness. And and just kind of summed, summed up the madness of this match as a whole. I just like, I, I don't get a chance to watch a ton of South American football. I don't get a, ton, a chance to watch a ton of Copa Libertadores. I love that when you go back through and, and you do tune in to bits and pieces, it's like the all-star squad of players you forgot about in a lot of ways. And I'm guessing people feel the same way when they tune in to an LA Galaxy game or whatever, right? You get a lot of that on this side of the Atlantic, along with some very real talent and a very excellent quality product. But in this game, you got Romero and Gall for Boca Juniors. I, that's not one I've forgotten about quite as much. Nico Figal, former Inter-Miami center back in the middle of the back line. We all, we all know that one. We all no, know that one. Yeah, well, maybe 12 <laughs> listeners do. Luis Advincula, who has been discussed already, scores the goal. Um, I got I got some... We're all mentioning our friends today. I have some friends who are Peru fans, and I, I remember watching a lot of Peru with them and Luis Advincula being at one point the fastest player in the world, if those numbers are to be believed. So he popped up for me. And then you got Edson Cavani doing his thing in the front line. Then you look at the other side for Fluminense. You have a 40-year-old Felipe Melo. Did not realize he was still playing soccer. Marcelo <laughs> playing to his left. I love like, him so much. There are so many of these incredible... Wait, he's here? Wait, he's here? And there's a, a real soccer game and tactical discussion and analysis. You guys have done a bit more of that than I will. But like, there's all of those layers too. But for me... Yeah who's just casually tuning into bits and pieces of this game, that's the most fun part. The best one is 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 Ganso, who was, along with Neymar at Santos, yeah. meant to be the next big thing in world football. And I, I kind of subconsciously knew that he was still playing in Brazil. But it's a little bit a little bit like tuning into a game and Freddie Adu is playing for one of the team. Like that is a similar sort of thing with Ganso, where clearly he has had a successful domestic career. We just, in a global sense, hasn't really appeared on the radar. 34-year-old Ganso could not look more like an accountant, by the way. <laughs> if you haven't seen him, uh, he looked fully like an accountant playing in the Copa Lib final. I enjoyed that. I loved seeing Felipe Melo. Man, do I love Felipe Melo. I did not realize that he had been fully transitioning into a center back, which was great. I didn't realize that he'd been growing out the Billy Billy Goat beer that he started with Galatasaray. That is where I I fully came to love him as the pit bull for Galatasaray, who was capable of scoring like 30-yard screamers, but also getting a red card in that same moment. Uh, He had that sort of intensity but he has such a swagger with the way he plays with the way he runs with the way he walks and even in the first 10 minutes uh Advin Kula has two different very aggressive challenges on uh Keno uh, only one of which was called and then they show in the replay Felipe Melo having words with Advin Kula and it I don't speak any uh Portuguese but I'm very confident that Felipe Melo was saying try that on me try that on me and it was <laughs> it was just a moment of like you do need that guy in there in those moments to back down the opponent and just let them know, like, oh, I'll, I'll break your leg if you want to try to break my guy's leg. We can play that game, too. Felipe Melo more than happy to do that. So great to see him. And then really great to see Marcelo. And I love that with this team, he gets to be a left back who's also an attacking midfielder on occasion or even a right winger. He moved over there on at times and really just had a lot of positional freedom. I was sad to see him leave in the 80th minute. But really love the consistent shots of, of the both benches going insane as this game went on. But you could see how much it meant to, to Marcelo and to, 
to like numerous other players in that team and, yeah. and everybody weeping at the end was just a, a pretty tremendous moment and uh, really made me enjoy that game. It was my favorite game of the weekend. One of my favorite games of the season so far. Yeah, and Fernando Dines as, as, as well at full time does the full Jose Mourinho at the camp now, yeah. sprint yeah. across the pitch, yeah. which, which was fantastic. I'm not sure about his tracksuit. Let's talk Seemed about like this. maybe Let's the, the least flattering tracksuit in <laughs> the was world. Ill-fitting, I would describe I it. I mean, very Gabo Karai, in my opinion. It's, it's the green pants with the three white stripes, but then the like green and purple sort of different square thing that he had in, going on. The t-shirt tucked in and as well. And then tucked in. It, it, was, it was tough to take him seriously despite knowing he's an incredibly good manager. And man, was he managing this game. Uh, yeah. I loved how often the fourth official, the fourth official gave up by the end trying to keep them in their respective boxes that you'd have both managers in one, both managers in the other, six different players in one at any given moment. It was uh, glorious chaos. And I think I say that because Fluminense won, so I felt like the team that just played the better football and rode the challenges yeah. better, ended up winning. And just going back to Denise for, for, for a moment, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him now because he's currently moonlighting as yep. the Brazil manager as they wait for Carlo Ancelotti to say yes or no. He's on, a, I think, a one-year deal as Brazil manager. And Denise is an interesting figure because he, he has managed pretty much every big club in Brazil. I think he's been Sao Paulo manager, Santos. He had a, 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 an initial spell at Fluminense. He then came back to Fluminense. I read a story. He basically phoned Fluminense and said, I want the job. He's a, he's a big enough figure in Brazilian football that he can command basically a job at any club. He phoned Fluminense and said, I want to come back for a second spell because I want to win the Copa Libertadores. Um, he's done that now. And he's got a pretty big reputation in Brazilian football. They call him the Brazilian Guardiola. And interestingly enough, he'll get a chance to test himself against the real Guardiola in the Club World Cup next year. So Brazil have this dilemma of do they still pursue the Ancelotti thing when he hasn't really given them an answer? Or do they go with a kind of more domestic homegrown manager who seems to be at the top of his, uh, his game right now? Very interesting stuff. Uh, first win in Fluminense history uh, in this competition, which explains the emotion that we saw in Marcelo and many others on the team there. And as you mentioned, Graham, uh, this, uh, the Saudi Arabian Club World Cup this December will feature both Fluminense and Manchester City. So we look forward with bated breath to Wait, that is that next one. month? You mean next, next, this December coming up? guess so when yes. when is this expanded club world cup happening i swear this has been happening that next summer for like the last five years that's the summer okay of right sure fun, fun okay, times indeed uh before we move on from this game uh anyone want a little quiz on players who have uh, won both the champions league and the copa libertadores anybody want to quiz throw some quiz. names in quiz. oh yeah. wait no wait i have to submit i thought we were gonna get questions Never well mind. i'll give you one marcelo because he's obviously won both uh having uh, played in this game any other any other names we want to throw in here Graham, you oh, must have some. man. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to have to think is about this. It, how I'm not how sure many, this is great how many are there? 15. Uh, and it's been dominated by Brazil? Uh, yes. Many, many Brazilians in this one. I'll read a few out, shall I? Julian Alvarez is one for a start. Oh, uh, Neymar of course, he's it. won everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, David Luiz and uh, Rafinha both did it with Flamengo. Uh, Carlos Tevez, oh, Ronaldinho, yeah. Cafu, Dida. There's a few more on there. Uh, well done on the quiz, everybody. Uh, it would be here. Here's the thing that here's the thing that trips me up. First of all, I don't think it's a quiz if you're just like, who did what, and then silence. Uh, but then also, it would be interesting to to do that quiz, but have to also say if they want it, like 
if they were under 21 or over 32. 30. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's, it really is one or the other with a lot of these players. The Tevez one I remember, that was 2007, I'm pretty sure, with Boca Juniors. He was, yeah. he was, he was young when he won that. But There's the a good one. Um, one Pablo Sorin won it in 1996. Uh, <laughs> both of them in 1996, which is very impressive. They had a good year in 96, did one Pablo Sorin. Let's go, shall we, to different part of the Americas, Joe Lowry. Should we look at Major League Soccer and its playoffs? The uh, We have three of eight teams now through to the conference semifinals after the definitely not done best of three series is uh, going on. Joe. Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> Cincinnati are through. They beat the New York Red Bulls in penalty kicks in. It maybe didn't quite rival this final that we just got through discussing in terms of chaos, but it wasn't that far away. One of the best moments in all this is Matt Mianska, FC Cincinnati center back, former oh, yeah. New York Red Bulls player, amazing. gets a yellow card during the run of play. Okay, great. That's that's what happens. And then during the penalty kick shootout, he's shown another yellow card for his conduct in that process and is not ejected. And I watched this and sort of thought, like, did I imagine that first yellow card? Did I just hallucinate that because I've been watching too much MLS playoffs? No, I did not. But as it turns out, and, and props to folks who parsed through this on Twitter, if you get a yellow card in the shootout, it doesn't count as a second yellow for the game, but it does count towards a yellow card accumulation total for the next game. And that Miazga now is suspended for the next match. What is that? The conference semifinal for FC Cincinnati? Yep. Um, yikes, first of all, for the Cincinnati team. We're already light on... But Joe, on, can, uh, we, can we just lay some, some, some congratulations on Miazga for poop housery during a penalty shootout? It was so, so, so unnecessary, but... Yeah, here we are. Incredibly so. And I believe if, I, if I've if i stitched all this context together, after Cincinnati win the shootout, they go and celebrate like aggressively right in front right. of the New York Red Bull supporter section. And they get stuff thrown at them, which is bad. Don't throw stuff at people. That being said, Pat Newton after the game yeah. basically comes out and says like, what? I mean, if you go and celebrate like that, like, I don't know what you're expecting. Talking about his own team. Like this game was absolutely bonkers. <laughs> I could not believe it. The Red Bulls get on the on the board first off of a, a nice little rebound from Tom Barlow. And then, or deflection, I guess it was. And then Bupenza comes off the bench, and he's been in trouble um, with Pat Noonan for coming back late from international duty. And so he hasn't been starting games, their midseason DP striker signing. And then he comes off the bench and, bench and shows why he should be starting. There are so many layers just on this game that we'll get into more with Goss later in the week, and I'm really looking forward to that show, which will be Wednesday, by the way, because of the timing of these playoff games. So just for listeners' heads up, I guess we're going to do that on Wednesday. That's the Cincy Red Bull game, <laughs> very quickly. Dallas come back and get a win. Against the Seattle Sounders, they start really, really well. Bernard Camungo starts on the on the right wing. We've told this story a few times on the show now. His family get to come and watch him play a pro soccer game for the first time. And he comes out and he gets the assist on the opening goal for FC Dallas and draws the penalty on the second goal. And from that point, Dallas never really looked back. They weren't great from that point forward in the match, you know, 20, 25 minutes in. But Seattle started sloppily and they couldn't really get back into this game. They created some chances, probably a, a few more and a few better than Dallas. But when you're down 2-0, Dallas, I thought, played this game fairly well. So they forced a game three in Seattle. Sporting Kansas City booked their spot in the next round. They have an eight versus one upset. They beat St. Louis 2-1. to one. Go ahead, Taylor. You would like to say something? I just want to give you credit. I feel like you called this one. I feel like this was one that you felt confident uh, about when we did our preview. You Like, not guaranteeing this was going to happen, but I think you just kind of believed in the yeah. uh, SKC momentum that they had built and felt like maybe St. Louis were there for the taking if things went Kansas City's way, and they did. So credit to Joe for getting multiple scoops right. Well, thank you. Thank you on that one. Um, yeah, this this Sporting Kansas City upset, it's eight seed versus one seed. It didn't really feel like that, though. Like, I wrote down in my notes, and we'll talk about this more later in the week. 
I wrote, it's a little strange that the 8v1 upset doesn't feel like an upset. Coming into this, SKC was in really, really good form. And that's not just a random thing of them getting hot at the right time or anything like that. They got healthy. Like, they got their players back. They start the first 10 games of the season winless. They're really struggling. People are coming for Peter Vermees, and, and people are talking about how we should lose this job. And then magically, when they get their players back, all of a sudden, they're a good team again. It goes to show how important players are and how much maybe we overestimate the amount of work that you know other factors and the amount of play that those other factors have. But SKC was the better team in this game. They go ahead first. You know, they go up 2-0 with a Daniel Shalloy goal. And they send St. Louis packing, which has got to be a sweet moment for SKC fans and a really bitter end to an otherwise fantastic season for St. Louis. A lot of love for what they've done this year. And then the last game, very quickly. LEFC beat Vancouver. They take care of business in that series, win it in two. They'll play again after the international break like these other teams now that have booked their spot in the next round. Pretty even game. Vancouver just could not get quite enough in the attack to really get themselves back into this series. It's a pretty light penalty kick call that Dennis Buonga gets to put away. There's not a really, there's not a lot on that from, from a Vancouver perspective in my mind, but LAFC get the job done. There's a ridiculous challenge by the referee. I don't know if you guys saw this yeah. on an LAFC <laughs> breakaway after a Vancouver set piece. LAFC go down the field, and I think it's Carlos Vela who just butchers the interpretation of the offside rule and passes the ball forward when he should not have to put LAFC up what would have been 2-0 Vinny Sartini loses it on the sideline, gets ejected, is saying really like bad stuff that you shouldn't say about referees after the game, and is probably looking at a somewhat lengthy ban for next season. Ooh, but Joe, I mean, spill, spill, spill the tea there. Like, he talks about he talks yeah. about how, and this is out of context. I have not seen the full quote, but there was a quote on Twitter that that Jeff Ruder had had quoted and things along those lines, saying basically he wouldn't be surprised if he saw the referee like laying face down in a creek after this game. Uh, there's from what I understand right. the context before that is like a, a little bit better, but I mean, yeah, saying stuff that you shouldn't be saying about referees who are very much people as well and make mistakes and yeah, some insanity to say the very least in this latest batch of MLS games. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, Joe, an update so, from so a death threat, uh, not, not, not a bad way to end a playoff run. Well, well done there guys. Yeah, that's kind of wild. I don't know what to say about that. I believe uh, So I believe right before that, Vanny Sartini said, like, I'm not going to kill the guy or anything along those lines, and then proceeded to say so, that. Well, that's kind of him. So uh, in, in this in this episode, we've had Graham be like, I don't want to, like, tout myself for getting my bets right and then doing exactly that. I think Joe did the exact <laughs> same for, like, I don't want to claim credit, but then claiming credit. And we have Vanny Sartini saying, I'm not making a death threat, but here is a death threat. Like, it, it's, uh, it's par for the course, gentlemen. It's par for the course. Yeah. Nice creek you got there. Real shame if a, a fisher ended up. In it. We'll, uh, we'll see. Also, of those three things, Taylor, one of those is not like the other two. Come on. Like, we, no, we, Joe and I never threatened to kill anyone, as, at least not when we're recording. Not on ca- this, not on this at least not when we're recording. That's true. Uh, Joe, the NWSL final is set. Yes. Yes, it is. San Diego Wave lose to Earl Rain. That was the second game. They were the top seed coming into the postseason. It is a little bit of a fluky goal from the rain. I don't think anybody would deny that. Let's go scores that goal in the 47th minute and admits after the game, like, yeah, that, that was a cross, not a, not a shot. But all rain get the victory. They, uh, they, they punch their ticket to the final, which will be on Saturday, November 11th in San Diego, despite the wave not advancing. And the earlier game yesterday, as we're recording on Monday, Gotham upset the Portland Thorns. So both away teams, both of the lower seeds took care of business got the upset wins, that win for Gotham came in extra time. It's an incredible reversal from Gotham, who finished at the bottom of the NWSL standings last year. They were 12 of 12 coming into this year. They sneak into the playoffs, but we're a fairly good team throughout the majority of the season. 
the NWSL is just so tight to the point where there's three points separating eight from fourth or eight from third, excuse me. So they sneak into the playoffs. They get the last seed. They take care of business in the first round. They take care of business against North Carolina. They make it through then in the, the semifinals and beat Portland in a really difficult atmosphere in Providence Park. There wasn't a ton between any of these last four teams in terms of how these semifinals actually played out, but uh, it is anybody's game for this final. Oil Rain are likely going to play more pragmatic. Gotham are going to try to open the field up a little bit, play a little bit, work through their front line. Lynn Williams, Esther Gonzalez, Mitch Purse, like they have a lot of quality in that part of the field, but there's a lot of quality on both sides. It's Megan Rapinoe's last stand. It's Allie Krieger's last stand. Like there are a ton of narratives and, and tactical kind of under undercurrents that are going to define this last game. Joe, one narrative slash tactical undercurrent I wanted to get your thoughts on is the key takeaway for Gotham, who, as you said, scraped into the playoffs. Uh, getting rid of Ashlyn Harris is a good idea. She retires in November, and then they kind of put together this run. Is that what we've learned maybe for this team and maybe for Allie Krieger, that not having Ashlyn Harris around isn't the worst idea? Um, I'm unsure about all of those things and I'm sure how to yes and that in an appropriate way. Um, what I will say is that Gotham has done a, a pretty good job of bumping the investment into this club into giving, you know, the manager side in, in Amaros a little bit of time to actually breathe and to develop a style, giving, you know, the players some real quality around them, trading for Lynn Williams. Like they put signing Esther Gonzalez midseason, they put together a really impressive squad. I'm not sure that they're dramatically better than like eight other teams in the NWSL. It is such a parody driven league, but they did get hot at the right time and they do have the quality to be in any given game. And they certainly showed that in the semifinal. Uh, USL championship final is also yes. set. Joseph uh, yes, Charleston is. will be facing. Uh, who, who's, Sorry. Who's it? Was it? Uh, not Buddha Charleston, just Buddha. You naming the teams in this order and not naming no, you, the other you team. Can, you can boo the battery. As a Richmond Kickers fan, you can boo the battery. That's fine. Taylor says I can do it. No, it'll yeah. it'll be Charleston taking on Phoenix Rising. This game will be Sunday, November twelfth. Charleston win the Eastern Conference with a win over longtime title contenders Louisville City. They get that two one win on Saturday, and then Phoenix Rising leave it late as they've done throughout all of the postseason, and they get a win in second half stoppage time. A winner in second half stoppage time from Emmy Cuejo. 92nd minute goal. It's a nice finish from him. He comes on the uh, onto the field later in the match, taking down Sacramento Republic, who are the top team in the Western Conference. Honestly, this one, like the NWSL, like so much of Major League Soccer, it is a total crapshoot, but I won't lie. I am looking forward to getting to see whether it's up close or more likely from afar, Phoenix Rising play for a trophy. Joe, was that subtle shade thrown at Louisville or was that an appreciation? No, of no, they're, they're always good. It was not intended gotcha. to be that okay. at all. This was a down year for them, but I think they've been in... They've been to the semifinal like some ridiculous number of times in a row coming into this year. They get back there again. Danny Cruz has done a very good job on the managerial side, as best I can tell. And they have committed to being a real powerhouse in this league and spending and developing accordingly. Charleston, really, really a a massive turnaround for them with Ben Pierman as their manager. They were not good last year. They come back and now they're Eastern Conference champs. Yeah. And we also had the USL1 championship game in Cary, North Carolina on Sunday evening. North Carolina against Charlotte Independence. It was 1-1 in regular time and North Carolina FC winning 5-4 on penalties. One thing to note, Taylor, Gabriel Overton, still at the Independence, played as a number nine in this one. Fun. So not a future Manchester United legend, as I 
Well, who knows the way things are going. Oh yeah, give it time. Give it time. You could could come back. You never know. Anyway, let's take a quick break. (laughs) (laughs) But we don't hate Joe Lowry, who's going to jump out at this point. Joseph uh, has to go, and uh, I think he's going to go route through Black Coast Trash for clues for uh, for his next scoop. (laughs) This is is him starting his journey to Charleston on Sunday. Yes, I'm starting my walk across the continental United States. Wish me luck, fellas. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. Good luck on that, Joe. Uh, We'll be back very shortly with some Premier League and some continental action. Much more back shortly. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. Let's go to St. James's Park, where Newcastle got a 1-0 win over Arsenal. Injury-plagued Newcastle, we should say. Uh, not a bad win for them here. Anthony Gordon with the goal in rather controversial circumstances. Oh, did something happen? Something, uh, at least one thing happened in that in that build-up, Taylor. We shall oh, perhaps we shall discuss did it, that. Did it, though. Did it though? Right. <laughs> Let's discuss it now then, shall we? Did the ball go out of play? Were people shoved? Was there offsides? Graham, go on. Ah, uh, yet more VR and refereeing <laughs> discussion. It seems like it happens every weekend at the Premier League at, at, at the moment, in the Premier League at the moment. There was a four-minute delay for this goal, and Arteta, after the match, calls it embarrassing and a disgrace. Um, I certainly agree with him on the embarrassing point, but not not for the same reasons. I just don't like the the way that the first. So first of all, they check whether the ball is out, right? Then it was an offside check. Then it was a potential foul on on Gabriel. And it, for me, it was a microcosm of how VAR in the Premier League is used to look for any reason to yeah. disallow a goal. To me, right, and maybe this makes me sound like a luddite or a proper football man. I think very quickly you can get a gauge for whether a goal is a fair goal or not. And very quickly, looking at that, I think the one that is that um, justify, justifiably was checked is whether the ball is out of play or not. Because that is, uh, even though I know it's camera angles and so on, that's not a subjective decision. That is something, there, there will be a factual answer to whether that ball is out What's or that not. Now? Well, that's down to the cameras, though, right? That's not not that's not down to the decision-making process. If you get what I mean, okay. Um, we we just didn't have the evidence whether that was fully out or not. If that makes any sort all, of sense, you, Graham, just jump in real quick. Did you all see the clip that was doing the rounds of, the, of I think like the Dutch, uh, like round table that were talking yeah. about the optical illusion? Like that is it is wild to see how often a ball can look completely out and still be very much yeah. inbound. So yeah, yeah I, I hear because, what you're saying, Graham, because of spheres and physics and stuff. That's it. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what they said. That is exactly how it's explained, I think. Because <laughs> yeah. of physics. Yeah, that was that was the reason given. Um, but even in that decision, th- there's inconsistency across the season because I remember, or actually I didn't remember, it was I saw it on Twitter, which then jogged my memory. Manchester United had a goal disallowed earlier in the season against Brighton for something that was very, very similar. Correct. And they said the ball was out. And, and so 
has there been a change in the process Probably. to now it's to now it's the reason they gave was there wasn't uh what was it sufficient evidence or something like that has that been a change in the way that the pgmol operates that rule because it was different earlier in the season i mean that that's that to me is the biggest issue is just how often we end up being like, I think this is it, but this is from the rules from last season, or this is from the rules from two months ago, or this is what they were doing at the beginning of the season. It does create that feeling of never quite knowing what the rules are. Uh, in my amateur game this Sunday, the AR tried to call somebody offside from a goal kick, which you cannot be. And then there was much debate about, like, wait, have they changed that rule? I think they changed it two years ago, but then they changed it back. Like, that's that kind of is the issue <coughs> from a rules perspective, but then even deeper from a VAR perspective. It does just feel like things get officiated differently, called back differently, reviewed differently, and it does create some level of uncertainty. I did love multiple Newcastle supporters like painting it as they tried a record number of ways to not give us a goal, whereas the Arsenal supporters were of the opinion that there were a record number of reviews which shows how much this goal shouldn't have stood. Mikel Arteta, chief among them, talking about how much of a disgrace it is, how this is supposed to be the best league in the world, but uh, with decisions like this, how can it be? How can we consider it to be? Uh, that it's an absolute disgrace and a shame. Arsenal issue a statement, and I think they want VAR reviewed or something like that. It feels like a strong response, whereas I was inclined to think that this was more of the usual manager deflecting criticism away from yeah. their team not being particularly yeah. good on the very, day. Very quiet when Kai Havertz cut Sean Longstaff in half. Yes, well, exactly. exactly. Kai Havertz should be sent off in this game. The, the statement from Arsenal was was ridiculous and doesn't really help matters. It feels like Arsenal are trying to do the Liverpool thing after the Spurs match a, a few weeks ago. They are two very different instances where... The referees and the officials in the Liverpool Spurs game admitted or they knew instantly that the wrong decision had... That was human error, right? That wasn't actually necessarily to do with the VAR process. Whereas this just felt like a microcosm of why I don't really like VAR. I'm just very tired of the way that it is used to try and achieve some sort of scientific perfection when that is just... That's just never going to happen in soccer. And so I would just rather... It was used for what it was originally meant to be brought in for, which was clear and obvious errors. Yes, check whether that ball is out of play. If it's not clearly out of play, then the goal stands. You go with the on-field decision. But that doesn't seem to be how the Premier League uh, operates it. All right, let's uh, pop the VAR chat there. A good win for Newcastle all the same. Arsenal won nine of their previous 11 games against uh, Newcastle. So not a result I was expecting, but uh, well done to Newcastle indeed. Uh, Well done also to Manchester City with a 6-1 win over Bournemouth. Their 14th consecutive win over Bournemouth. They've only ever beaten Bournemouth. Uh, Jeremy Docker with a goal and four of the other five assists. Uh, Graham, um, Jeremy Docker, good. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, his performance in this game really made me regret not having him in my FPL yeah. team for the yeah. weekend. As those assists and goals were coming in, I was I was ruining that decision because he was on my radar. Um, and somehow one goal and four assists uh, still doesn't illustrate how good he was in this match. He he he's simply one of the best dribblers around at the moment. And the thing that has been most impressive impressive about him since coming in at City has been his decision making. Everything that he does is done with such clarity. He's in tune with the new teammates around him. Sometimes, we've seen it in the past, sometimes new Guardiola signings, they need a a season to get up to speed and really learn what Guardiola wants from them. That was certainly the case with Jack Grealish, member in his first season at City. Doku hasn't needed that at all, and he looks like a very, very special player. And, And as a reflection of how good, yes, City have 
loads of cash and can spend whatever they want on players. But they are also very good at uh, talent ID because jo- Jeremy Doku in League One last season was was considered a talent. He was a very good dribbler, but he was very inconsistent in his output. And actually, at times, he wasn't even in the in in the Rennes starting lineup at times last season. And so Guardiola and, and City have clearly spotted something in him. He's ready to, to 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 reach the next level. And City repeatedly do that with players like. Manuel Akanji and Nathan Ake, who was at Bournemouth, funnily enough, before he comes to Manchester City. So, yes, they spend lots of money, but they are very good at that side of recruitment. Yeah, uh, I highlighted this game after the third goal. Julian Alvarez uh, celebrating with the team and apparently not realising he'd lost a tooth uh, earlier in the play. He later claimed on social that it was just blood. Um, but I suspect he might have gone to see Jurgen Klopp's dentist mm. really quick after the game. So we shall, uh, <laughs> we shall see how that one turns out. But yeah, it, very looking... Libertadores of him, Julian Alvarez, <laughs> to lose a, te- a tooth and not even know it. Indeed. But it seemed to be, Graham, like the actual incident was him getting the ball in the face. Like it wasn't like an elbow or anything like that. Uh, Graham, have you ever had an unexpected ball in the face like that? I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good. Who's, who's to say? <laughs> Uh, Fulham nil, Manchester United won. Bruno with the injury time goal, saving Manchester United. Uh, Graham's adult son, Scott McTominay, had one disallowed in VAR. By VAR, excuse me, as Wait, well. That shouldn't have been disallowed either. I don't know what Scott McTominay <laughs> did to the VAR operators in football, but yeah, they're, they're not a big fan of him. Like oh, mo- most Manchester United fans, it seems. Did you see the clip of Harry Maguire screaming, I wasn't involved, like over and over and over again at the VAR official? Uh, he had a great game, Harry Maguire, but I, I enjoyed that moment. I, I enjoy it a lot more in retrospect now, knowing that three points were uh, obtained. I, I, I didn't really much enjoy Anthony. Graham, uh, what did you make of his performance, which the numbers show to be yeah. not particularly great? Yeah, we have to. I don't know if this is this is the right time because we seem to spend a lot of uh, nah, let's this do it. podcast talking it. about Everybody Manchester United. But at some point, we do have to talk <laughs> about Anthony because I think we might be in flop territory with him now. I, I defended him a bit last season. He was never worth eighty six million pounds, which is what Manchester United paid IX for him. But there were occasions last season where he made a difference. He gave Manchester United a bit of balance on that right side. This season, though, he has been completely useless. There is no other way to say it. The ball goes to him and nothing comes out the other side. And the stats, as you kind of referenced, Taylor, for him in this match were pretty, pretty brutal. He lost possession 10 times in this game. He won just three of his 10 ground duels and he completed just one of his four dribbles. That's his whole thing. He's a dribbler. (laughs) You can't be completing just one out of four when that is your one pony trick. But yeah, and and the other thing with Anthony, the other knock-on effect is... Um, how it seems to be limiting Hoyland as well. Mm-hmm. So the way that, uh, that Ten Hag is setting up his front three, you have Marcus Rashford on the left, you have Anthony on the right. Hoyland in that setup gets next to no service and it feels like he's the sort of centre forward that needs that. And he has almost nothing to attack in matches where United have to break down a, a low block as they often do and they certainly did against Fulham. So the balance of that attacking unit is wrong and really... It feels like Manchester United needs a, a kind of orthodox winger to get crosses and passes into Hoyland and even Rashford going centrally as well. And Anton at the moment is just not doing that. All right. Quick look at the other games. Brentford with a 3-2 win over West Ham. Uh, Mohamed Kudus with a lovely overhead, uh, overhead kick goal for this one. Maybe the Premier League goal of the weekend. They're very nice indeed. Crystal Palace with a 2-0 win at Burnley. Burnley becoming the first team in English top flight history to lose their first six home games of a season yikes yeah uh quick jump yeah. in for me there's a few i want to like uh, issue corrections on from this one i think uh earlier in the season 
I said I thought Wolves might be in relegation trouble, uh, though they lose this weekend. They have strung together some good results uh, prior to this loss. I think two wins and two draws. They seem like they will be pretty comfortably safe, and the same goes for Everton. I know we're going to talk about them, but man, we had a listener question about will Burnley put it together? Should we still kind of keep the keep the faith that Vincent Company will find a way to get the best out of this team? And their supporters continue to be positive. He seems to be a popular manager, but they look like they're in some trouble. F- four points from 11 games, four straight losses. Uh, I believe Arsenal up next. Things are not great for Burnley, and I don't see them getting better anytime soon. Indeed. Got slightly better, as you mentioned, they're Taylor for Sheffield United with a 2 and win over Wolves, their first win of the season, but they are still bottom of the table. A Luton, minutes from a historic victory uh, over Liverpool. Uh, Taith Chong with the 80th minute counter-attack goal, but Luis Diaz cancelling it out uh, from the bench on the, in the 96th minute. It's the first match that he's played since his parents were kidnapped in Colombia. He unveiled a shirt in support of his father, who, as we record, I believe is still Mm-hmm. Um, missing. It was it was an interesting one to hear people discuss because I think unless you are a Liverpool supporter, <laughs> the majority of neutrals I think were pulling for Luton to get this win. It felt like they were going to do it, though Liverpool did have some chances that they probably should have taken. Darwin Nunez has has a pretty bad miss in this game, uh, and so I think neutrals were sort of pulling for Luton. And normally, when a big club ends up pulling it back and getting the draw, it sort of feels like. Two points dropped, an opportunity wasted, and maybe that's the case. But I think because it's Luis Diaz scoring in the moment in which he scored, in the situation in which he scored, it feels to me like everybody was just sort of okay with the situation. I really like Jurgen Klopp's comments afterwards where he really didn't want to talk about the game, didn't even want to talk about like the courage it took. I think his response to that was like, I'm not sure if courage is the right word. Uh, it felt very German in that moment. But I, I thought all the response in support of Luis Diaz was really... Really wonderful because it is just an absolutely like insane situation. Uh, there are many better words to use. I'm not sure what they are, but to have both of your parents abducted, I think his mother was then either released or sort of let go when police were pursuing. His father remains missing, uh, and I think over like 400,000 people in the history of the National Liberation Army in Colombia have been abducted uh, in their 50, 60 years in, in existence. So. It's a sad reality, I, I think, for the country and for the people of that country and for Luis Diaz, but it's one that I think he has talked about getting a ton of public support and feeling very well supported by his teammates, by the club, by the league, by uh, supporters around the world. Still doesn't have his father back yet. It does seem like progress is being made, but it is still a a very scary and I don't just frightening thing for a player to have to deal with. And I'm glad that he had a moment where maybe he could forget about that and, and enjoy playing the game of football and scoring a goal. But I think the celebration shows that it's, it's difficult to ever fully be removed from a situation like that. Indeed. Nottingham Forest with a 2-0 win over Aston Villa, their first win in seven matches that stopped Villa from going third in the league. And finally for the Premier League, Graham, for some reason, Everton's one more draw with Brighton is on our running order. Yeah, because at the moment, for, maybe I'm a madman, but at the moment I'm actually enjoying Everton playing dice ball. And obviously the, losing the late goal here was disappointing for Everton, but the, the outlook for them is pretty positive at the moment. And I, I was pretty high on dice going there last season. While it's taken much, much longer than I expected to really see his influence, that is kind of what's happening now. And I mentioned last week, so I won't go... I mentioned it on the show last week, so I won't go too long on it, but Everton really are becoming a, a dice team. You can see the, the 4-4-2 shape out of possession with Dakuri 
pushing up alongside Calvert-Lewin. They stay compact and disciplined. And against Brighton, they made it difficult for them to play through the middle. And then when they have the ball, they go direct. They play off Calvert-Lewin as the focal point. They get crosses into the box. They, they fight for the second balls. It's not very pretty. I accept that. But it can be really, really effective. And Everton are, are, are buying in as a, as, as a club at the moment. They've lost just twice in their last eight matches. And as long as they can keep key players like Calvert-Lewin and Dakuri and even uh, Dwight McNeil, who I think is coming into a bit of form, if they can keep them fit, I think they'll be comfortably away from relegation. Certainly if there are teams like uh, Burnley and Luton and Sheffield United. It feels like the quality at the bottom of the Premier League is, is quite low this season, and that might be the buffer that, that Everton need. I, I'm so impressed by Sean Deitch and how much he has gotten this team to play Deitch ball, how much they looked like Burnley when Burnley were good. They're another team that I, I thought could be in a lot of trouble, would be in a lot of trouble. I no longer feel that way. I feel like they're not going to be the most fun of teams to watch, maybe from a neutral perspective. I think they're going to leave a lot of games late and maybe leave some points on the table. But I do think that he has gotten a lot of belief, a lot of buy-in. And I think it's it's to his credit that he's able to kind of stabilize things in a very unstable situation. Over to La Liga, where Girona stay top of the league, as we mentioned earlier in the show, with a 4-2 win at Osasuna. Uh, they stay top, Graham, because Real Madrid had a goalless draw against Rayo Vallecano. Uh, Real Madrid with 22 attempts on goal in this game. Yeah, yeah. strange thing happened, Ryan, in this match, where Real Madrid, they needed a late winner, and um, Jude Bellingham didn't score one. Hmm. So this is this is maybe flap. the start of the TSS curse <laughs> yeah he's he's done he's finished this is the start of the the spiral maybe maybe that is what's happening as joe mentioned we did the big thing episode on him last week um so hopefully the TSS curse isn't real um to be honest i thought real madrid were were kind of unlucky in this game uh, barcelona i don't know if we're going to speak about them but in their match they were kind of fortunate to to beat real sociedad but Real Madrid, they had opportunities to, to score and win, but didn't. Uh, Dimitrievsky, excuse me, easy for me to say, the Rio goalkeeper, he was man of the match. There were a couple of moments where you really weren't sure how the ball stayed out of the back of the net. Real Madrid, they had 22 shots in this match. Only once before under Ancelotti have they had more shots and uh, failed to score. Their, their XG as well was uh, 2.3. So I think this was just one of those days for them. But, I, but um, we've said this earlier in the season, Maybe there are going to be more of these days now that Karim Benzema isn't there to make the difference. And they are relying on midfielders and wingers to score their goals. Indeed. Uh, Barcelona keeping pace with a 1-0 win at Real Sociedad as well. Over in Italy, uh, Internazionale staying top in a localish derby with Atalanta. Uh, Kalanagu with a penalty and Latoro Martinez getting the go-ahead goal there, Graham. Yeah, Martinez is just in the form of his life at the moment. I think he's got 12 goals in 11 Serie A games and his his uh, goal in this match was an absolute stunner. It was a, a guided right-footed strike into the far corner. I think putting Marcus Turam alongside him has, has really given him more space away from opposition defenders and, and, and I think we are seeing a striker hit the next level in Lataro Martinez. Obviously, he's he's been near the top of the game for a while now, but it feels like he's really becoming an elite level centre forward and it has been a strong start to the season by Inter. They're top of the table. Um, this was an impressive result away to a good Atalanta team and with Martinez in this sort of form, I think they'll take some beating this season. Yeah, Not so hot for AC Milan, though this weekend losing uh, at the San Siro to Udinese. Yeah, and another poor result for AC Milan, who have now lost three of their last four games. Uh, Stefano Pioli, it feels like he's coming under quite a bit of pressure. There was a point last season when he 
was maybe one or two bad results away from losing his his job. I'm not sure that he's quite at that stage uh, right now, but AC Milan fans are having some questions about him. It really never seemed like they were going to score in this match. Their attack is really lacking in, in ideas at the moment. I go back to that match they played against, was it PSG in the Champions League a couple of weeks ago yeah. where it said... Yeah, um, where, where we said on the show that it didn't really look like they had much variety to their attacking ideas, and that was the case in this match as well. Uh, no Christian Pulisic for this match. Yunus uh, Musa played in a slightly peculiar wide right position in the midfield. They were in a 4-4-2 for, the, for much of this match. He had one of Milan's better chances with a, a powerful shot from outside the box, but um, yeah, not, didn't really feel like Milan were, were battering down the door in this one. Mm. Juventus with a 1-0 win at Fiorentina, courtesy of a Fabio Moretti goal, their fourth consecutive win there. Napoli with a 2-0 win over Salernitana, who are bottom. They set a club record of 12 consecutive Serie A games without a win, did Salernitana. People in Zaghi's Salernitana, no less. And some drama in Rome. Roma were 1-0 down in the 91st minute of their home game with Lecce. <laughs> Comeback win with a 2-1 win there. Romelu Lukaku blasting in the winner there. Lovely stuff from Lukaku. Uh, in the other business section, uh, just a quick look over to the Netherlands where PSV beat Heracles 6-0. Ricardo Pepe scoring and assisting. Malik Tillman bagging PSV's third goal there. Serginho Des playing at left back as well for an hour of that game. Lovely stuff from the Americans there. Ajax have won two games in a row. Whoa, they're back, baby. Wow. They're up to 11th in the uh, Eredivisie now with wins over Volendam and Hiddenveen. They've got Brighton coming up next. Uh, in the Europa League on Thursday. Uh, quick note on the FA Cup first round, which took place this weekend. Of course, we all want to talk about AC Wimbledon's 5-1 win over Cheltenham, but we can save that for another day. We're running long. But eighth tier side, Cray Valley, uh, I've got a replay with Cheltenham Athletic, who are in League One. Uh, there are 117 league places between them. It'll be one of the biggest ever upsets, basically, in the competition, if Cray Valley pull this off. Uh, yeah. Incredible. Give them their full name, Ryan. The Cray, not the Cray Valley Paper Mills yeah. FC, which is just one of the best names in English football. I love that for them. It's because Cray Valley is literally the team closest to where I was born. They're in Sidcup, which is where I was born in Southeast London. Uh, and they were Cray Valley Wanderers. They claim to be like the second or the oldest team in the world or something as well. So they've got a bit of history. Chelton, very local to them as well. So a bit of a local game, too. Interesting there. Uh, what else have we got for the show? Taylor, I think that's it. Should we wrap it up? Michelle, I understand why the name Wanderers exists, but if you are the Cray Valley Wanderers, it doesn't feel like there's a ton of space to wander, is all I'm saying. Like, well, like you've got wa- that one valley, and then outside of that, you got to change your name. That's the thing, and if you want to say you're the second oldest team in the world, you're not doing that much wandering on your away games either. <laughs> yeah. That's something to keep in mind. Anywho, we have weekend reviewed for long enough. Yeah. Taylor Rockwell, as always, my good friend, thank you very much. Thank you, my friend. Graham Rutherford, good to have you back off the substitutes bench for this one. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. I liked how Joe skipped the section and we skipped over the Nottingham Forest game uh, where Matt Turner has been dropped as uh, Nottingham Forest's first choice goalkeeper. So now we know the real reason that Joe uh, Joe, uh, skipped off before the end of the show. Yes, indeed. Uh, Matt Turner conceding five goals in two appearances prior to this weekend and uh, being left out uh, by Mr. Cooper in this one. Yeah. Yeah, not great. Oh, great. Certainly for Joe. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Joe, for joining us all the same. And listener, thank you very much once again for joining us on this intrepid journey. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you would like to support us anymore. But for now, we'll be back on the feed very shortly. Bye! Bye!